Hello, I'm Simon Indelicate. Thank you for downloading this podcast. I think I'm going to call it E15, uh, which stands for Election 15, but also puts you in mind of E17, I think, and therefore will make you stay another day. Uh, Basically, I couldn't find a podcast where some random laymen who were not journalists or politicians or Westminster insiders just sat around and had a chat about the election. Because I think it's going to be an interesting election, lots of weird stuff, no one knows what can happen, and I wanted to talk about it, and I thought I may as well record that chat, because that is really the only way I'm capable of maintaining friendships. Um, So we've done that, some people volunteered, they've come over, uh, we've recorded it. It's quite long, it's about an hour and a half, this one, a sort of introductory thing. That's not going to be how it is going forward, I think going forward we're going to do um, shorter, probably hour-long things um, on specific issues so i'll probably do one about the environment i'll probably do one about education and in particular why grammar schools are terrible and someone's going to try and tell me that they're not uh one about um electoral reform that kind of thing um building up to the election uh which was uh, which is going to be in may and then at that point we'll see who was right in the predictions we make in this one and carry on so that's uh, that's what we're going to do um if you're interested in being on a future edition, um, feel free to at me on the Twitter or the Facebook or any of the places one can be added. It's a bit white male heavy, I suppose, at the moment. Um, it'd be nice if we could broaden it up. I've tried to make it as broad as possible in terms of opinion. I can't find any social conservatives. I want someone who believes in family values and stuff for religious reasons, uh, but who is nevertheless reasonable and nice. Because I think that's really the idea. I want people who are reasonable and nice and don't necessarily agree, which seems to be something that... It seems to be a conversation that's had less and less. Anyway, uh, it's it's coming up after this jingle, and um, I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, then come and be on a future one uh, with your opinion and make the kind of opinions that you'd enjoy hearing. Um, Or do your own podcast, or... I've nothing left to say. Enjoy. Uh, hello everyone, this is the, uh, oh, we haven't got a name, we haven't even thought about what to call this podcast that we're doing. <laughs> that would have been a great moment to like, like, like call us like the Ayn Rand collectivists. Welcome to the Ayn Rand collectivist <laughs> podcast. Exactly. Uh, we, all, we, we are all strict Ayn Rand free market laissez-faire capitalists here and, uh, and I'm glad to see us with you. No, okay, actually, no, I've got a question. I've got, before I introduce you, I've got a question. And this is only for people who didn't watch Pointless today, right? Um, so, what is Ed Miliband's wife's name? Ooh. Michael. Torpedo. Oh. David. Millie. <laughs> Millie Miliband. Yeah. Sarah. It should be that. Mm. Nope. Yes, I thought so. That's about Gordon Brown's wife, Sarah. Oh, okay. No, cause apparently only two points on Pointless. Ed Miliband's wife's name, which is Justine. Oh, yeah, I did know that. Well, at least I've read it. So I've read it once. <laughs> but I think, I, what, I, what can we read into that fact? The fact that only 2% of people, by the well, scientific we, basis of the point of survey, um, only 2% of people know who. But do, they we knew, have, do we have the comparable statistics? How many people knew Sam Cam? Well, Sam Cam's very popular. A lot of people knew Sam, but I think it was 58. And Clay uh, is Marion, isn't it? Or Miriam. 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 Mm-hmm. And that was significantly higher than Miliband. I can't remember the exact figure, right. but significantly higher than Justine Miliband. And I wonder if that tells us something interesting about the election. And as a segue, that is why I brought that up, because we are here to talk about that very thing, the election. Um, 
I thought this would be a good idea for about five minutes. So I went on Facebook and said, wouldn't it be good if we did a podcast and then anyone can come along? And uh, the cream of privileged white males yeah. <laughs> responded to that call. There are no, and me, I'm here too. Apart from Julia, who doesn't count, because um, <laughs> she literally lives here. Um, no, no women, no, minor, no, no racial minorities. You suggest is, any, is anyone even gay? I, no! I snogged a boy a couple of times, but I don't really think that counts. That's still, you're still privileged, Chris. Oh, so it was in a very privileged way. <laughs> <laughs> I slept in a girl's bed once. I mean, like, romantic. You're already a woman. Time <laughs> <laughs> you can't be, we can't tick all the boxes with you. It's sort of a you. brighten thing, isn't it, Chris? It's sort of a brighten thing. This is what you do, isn't yeah, it? It's just what you do. You have a go. Yeah. So you yeah. have a go. And I thought, that smells <laughs> icky, and I didn't do it again. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty much what I'm telling you, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, but we're not here to talk about that. So, yeah. But I just said people who are interested turn up and all the, the only people who are interested in politics, it turns out, are privileged white males aged <laughs> 24 to 40. So that's uh, the only people who get to speak because in a democracy, decisions are made by those who show up. Um, to quote someone via the West Wing. It's <laughs> probably quote someone more interesting. Anyway, yes, so I'm here. I'm Simon Indelicate. Uh, you possibly know that. Julia Indelicate is there. Hello. Uh, Chris Hodges is over there. I was going to sort of come up with interesting uh, things to introduce people, but I don't want to because they would just involve being rude about Joel, and I'm not allowed to do that so in case he needs oh. a job. Um, so I'm not. Thank you, Simon. So uh, Chris Hodges, uh, I'm like you said. Let's go. I think I wanted to get as broad a range of people as possible, and seeing as my most of my friends seem to be left of me, I didn't want to be the most right wing person on the podcast. But where would you say you fit? Describe yourself in specific terms, Chris Hodges. Uh, well, I was I was hired, I think, as the token hippie. Um, so that's where I started off. But I suppose mm. I'm uh, two thirds geek to one third socialist. Um, <laughs> if that if that counts as anything. <clears throat> yeah, I think that works. Good. So Guy Walsh, if you could describe yourself in some ludicrously specific terms, possibly ending in ist. Um, can I go with Ian? I want to go for humanitarian. Uh, I, I I don't like the idea of being put left wing, white right wing. Uh, I I consider myself primarily to be a humanist. There we go. Um, okay. So yeah, that's where I consider myself. Okay. All right. And Joel Adams. I genuinely don't know what I'd consider myself, but I think basically I distrust any organisation or power base which thinks it either has the answers or should be trusted to implement the answers, whether that be over mighty corporations or over self-important bureaucracies. So my, or him off pointless. Or indeed him off pointless. Yeah. So I think my, my political compass is informed by that and my political decision making is, is informed more by, by generalised scepticism than anything else. Right. Al, Hi. Al Clayton, Hello. my brother. Hi. You've you've got to match that as a description. <laughs> you've got could quite be a good tricky. One already though, which is that your your vote is for sale. That's quite. Yeah, good. yeah, my vote's up for sale yeah. as long as it's not for the Tories <laughs> or UK. <laughs> or you or BMP. What is the price? Uh, oh, it doesn't I mean, really I matter think, to me. I think, I think a cup of coffee would be fine. But you've written okay. it off. You said not the toys, but like, surely there's a price that's high enough. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. a higher price oh, than the MP, yeah. but. Yeah. Uh, 
How much would it cost? BMP would cost a DeLorean's worth of money, probably. <laughs> okay, <laughs> one of the new models. But I'd yeah. chuck it in there, because like, they're not going to get in, are they? You'd vote BMP for a I, DeLorean. Do they have BMP in? Well, how much is a DeLorean? It's about 10 grand. Like, uh, well, no, I'd want a decent running one. You know, you're looking at... <laughs> I'd probably want a brand new one. I, it's $59,000. $59,000, that's how much it costs for you to vote BMP. I, do, I yeah, don't yeah. think, Simon, that we should, that we should um, experiment with asking that question nationwide. I don't want to know the answer <laughs> to the question, how many people in this fine country would vote BMP for a DeLorean? I don't I, think I, that's a question we It'd be we weird, should, though, wouldn't it? No, but the we should find it'd out be weird. Yeah, how do I you put it down in your tax return? For a DeLorean safe in the knowledge that they're not going to get in. Yeah. But, you know, if everyone else was doing it, even... I might feel bad about driving around in my DeLorean and I wouldn't be special because everyone else would have a DeLorean. Yeah, exactly. so there aren't enough to go yeah, around that would yeah, get enough votes. No, it's a Your vote is for sale but governed by the by the sum total of DeLorean availability worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, well, precisely. So, so it's safe. It's capped. It's safe yeah. because there's not enough of them to go around. To, well, to well, ever well, get them anywhere near enough so that's, really nice Prius. Actually, that's quite that, a nice... That would be some trouble. That's yeah. quite a nice <laughs> segue, actually. Let's, Thank you. Let's go from there, then, if we may, Simon, hmm. to the um, enormous rise in the nationwide opinion polls in support for what used to be fringe parties and other smaller parties. No, let's not go there, because that's, that's for later, because that's too interesting. Oh, OK. Well, I, I was going to say, is that, definitely get there. Uh, is, that that is, support, is that support predicated on the fact that they won't get in? In the same way, that's that... a really good question. I want to get. I'm going to get into fringe. Okay. I think we should get into fringe parties in a little bit. Well, that was. It started off as a segue, but in the end, it was more of a, a leap between one point in space time and another. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and we've missed out the whole introductory thing, which is going to be worth doing. Um, but but good. we must get back there. So next time you spot a segue that would equal that would equally well segue into that, we'll do it. Right. I'm going to because I've introduced myself. Yeah, I haven't said what I am. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I want to do that. It's not made. Jenny hasn't done oh, it. Oh dear. Yeah. What would? How do I describe myself? I am. More right-wing than you'd think, <laughs> probably, increasingly, <laughs> as I get older. I'm, I'm well on that path between uh, youthful, well, fascism in my case, but socialism, and then only very brief, only about three months in the sixth form. I had the better coats. Um, I remember that coat. Yeah. That was, yeah, a, it was a good coat, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a coat was in which you could easily coat. lead an occupying force. Not racism, but, you know, a kind of, like, political, <laughs> political fascism. Has a really, you know, I just thought I'd wear that coat and me and Will go around Bart saying Bart Weinhoff had good clothes, didn't he? Yeah, so then I saw... <laughs> between various European yeah. terrorist movements, I was kind of yeah. veering between the mainly based on the clothes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then as I evolve, I think I, I drift. I drift and I'm not sure where. I don't know. I mean, this is the, this is the main reason I think why I'm doing this, because I don't know who to vote for and I'm hoping that I will find out. Julia, how would you describe yourself? Tricky, as loudly as possible, because there's no microphone That's a tricky pointing. one, because... There's probably policies I agree with in all the parties. So there's stuff that I agree with in the Tory um, lot, some of which is to do with space, which I really care about, space travel, obviously. Um, then there's stuff that the Greens do, which um, there's like uh, stuff about... What was the Green? What were they doing? Oh, yeah, digital economy stuff, BAT stuff, Pirate Party, same sort of reasons it's hard to say really i generally on on a on an angry day am a libertarian i'd say and on a on like a work day when i work with lots and lots of different kinds of people from lots of different backgrounds i'm very very racist in the middle. no no <laughs> doesn't come naturally to me at all because i wasn't born in england and when i first came to england um the only people i could get on with were mixed because i wasn't used to english people so naturally i'm not particularly 
I kind of I kind of like Al, my vote's kind of for sale. Though I do have a massive problem with private education, so I find it I would find it very, very hard to vote Conservative. Fair enough. I think the first question I want to ask is um it is today one hundred days until the election. Uh which is uh, it almost like we planned it, but it was just by accident. But it is 100 days to the election. And I'd like everyone to say what they think is going to happen and possibly wager money on it. Yeah. <laughs> because I think that'd be interesting. I'd, I'd be interesting because I think the idea with this is I'd like to do quite, I'd like to do a whole series of podcasts between now and the election, just kind of focused on that quite narrowly. Um, and I think it'd be an interesting way of sh- shaping the whole thing to have. Uh, predictions made now so I'm just going to go round everyone doing that and then we'll, we'll move on I think after that then we'll get round to what we were talking about before so uh, do we want to go in the same direction as we did before put our money I don't know how much money do you want to wager on the election result I've got a tenner in my pocket that's <clears throat> a bit much fiver alright done yeah. <laughs> yeah the closest person gets a fiver <laughs> oh I think we're going to find it quite difficult after the election to define closest there's going to be a lot of potential ways in which the well, it is. Well, uh, but but I want right now. I want everyone to pick one particular way they think the chips will fall. Right. And if you're right, you get. Uh, well, I suppose you get not a fiver from everyone. Everyone else, but everyone. Get, everyone puts in a pound, and then the person who's closest. Or even if That's... no one's right, then we'll give that money to charity. Okay. Yeah. So Chris, put your money. Well, our money, where your mouth would like to be. <laughs> I didn't think it was that kind of show. Um, I <laughs> it reckon. It will be Labour, SNP, Liberal Democrat coalition, but we'll have another election within 12 months. Mm. I was kicking it down the road a bit because we can't That's tell it. if you're right for a year. <laughs> all right, but like That's that it. first bit is the that bit first that's bit. Okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, I, I'm going to go for. Uh, I have a horrid feeling we're going to end up with a Labour UKIP coalition. Despite wow. the fact both of them saying they won't enter into it, I, you know the same thing happened last time round. Mm-hmm. Uh, Conservatives and Lib Dem saying that they you know, they weren't going to do that, and and I think we're going to end up with that because I think Labour want to be seen as the voice of the working people, and UKIP kind of offer them a shortcut to um uh, to that path. It's really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And actually, actually, it isn't one that occurred to me. So no, not me. But no, I'm quite. Because they, yeah, they, uh, there are some similarities aren't there? Mm. Yeah. In, in, in target audiences. In yeah. white, white van men and yeah. England flags. And in, Especially in seeing because there is this major yeah. problem is that if, they, if, there are, if there is a significant Green present and a significant UKIP present, the Greens will not form a coalition, or they say they won't form a coalition that isn't going to get rid of Trigon, and the Labour Party say they won't go into a coalition with anyone who will get rid of Trigon. So there's no kind of formal coalition possible. Well, the, the thing is... So that's... Sorry, go on. So for me, I th- I th- the Green, the Greens are the one party who I genuinely believe what they say, um, which is the terrifying thing about we, it. We, yeah, and and it takes a lot for me to say that because I don't really trust any of the buggers. Mm. Um, but uh, you know what I will say is that from what I've seen of certainly Caroline Nuka so far, she's been good to her word and gone as far as getting herself arrested for it. So mm. I, I believe that if anyone's going to stick to the word, it's likely to be the Greens. In fact, can I take that back? It's likely to be the Greens. It's not going to be the Greens. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think that Labour... I just think UKIP could be the be the shortcut for them to, to get into power. Really interesting. Really I, interesting idea. I think it's really interesting, but I think mathematically... Um, neither UKIP nor the Greens are going to have the numbers to make a difference. No, I think... We'll see. Joel, 
I think that we have had two very interesting ideas. I think the Labour Liberal Democrat SNP suggestion is probably um, statistically as likely as anything else based on the electoral mathematics. But I think there's something that's going to come in the way of that, which is we've only had one formal coalition government outside of wartime in the course of the last hundred years. So we're slightly less gun shy of it than we were five years ago. But it's still an unusual state of affairs for British politics. And I think the British electorate would struggle with the idea of forming a government around the party which didn't win a plurality of votes. I think if the Tories win more votes than any other party, there will be a momentum towards, there will be a, a groundswell of opinion which, which won't necessarily be terribly easy to ignore, towards them having the right to try to form a to form a coalition. So you're talking votes, not seats here? Uh, no, the, I meant I meant those interchangeably on that okay. occasion. So I think the likeliest electoral outcome, notwithstanding the lack of boundary changes, is that the Tories will win a plurality of seats, will be the biggest single party in the, in the, House, of, uh, the House of Parliament. And I think that will mean that the wind is in their sails when it comes to coalition discussions. But I also think that both parties in the existing coalition are too jaded from the experience of that coalition to want to enter into another formal coalition. So my best guess, and I further think that the groundswell of support for both the Greens and the UK Independence Party will be too wide and too thin to give them a significant balance of power when it comes to actual representation in Westminster. So I think that the likeliest state of affairs after May, the whatever it is, is a, a Tory minority government with a um uh what's the word Sup confidence and confidence and supply arrangement backed by primarily um the uh, orange book wing of the liberal democrats the four or five ukip mps who will be elected and the uup and dup mm -hmm. who will be relied upon to vote with a conservative led minority government that's okay. my guess Shit. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. Out, man yeah, I like that. I no, you can't have the same one. <laughs> I do that. Uh, I have a mad one. <laughs> um, Outright green majority. <laughs> well. Who do you think looks like the most likely... He can do it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, full disclosure. I really... I don't understand quite genuinely how they decide... Who wins? Well, what you do is you get there's no, no, there's no, no, no. That's a really important question yeah. because yeah. none of us do, and the reason yeah. that I think um, oh, good. I, I hope I hope <laughs> we'll come on. I hope we'll come on to talk about um, uh, leadership debates either in this edition or Absolutely. a subsequent one. But I think the reason they're they're so um, important for the democratic process this time around, whereas they weren't last time mm -hmm. they were showmanship, is that this time we need to know which are the stopper policies. So. Uh, forgive me, gentlemen, I, w I don't know which one of you mentioned the, the um, uh, breakdown between the Greens and Labour over Trident, for That's instance. Me, I mentioned it, actually. Um, yeah. Right, so we have to know at what price various coalitions are possible. Yeah. And if people go in, because we didn't have that last time, we didn't have red lines, mm -hmm. and what happened was that the Liberal Democrats had to backtrack enormously on what sure. was purported to be one of theirs. So there is no formal coalition forming process in answer to the question. But I think what's important for, for democracy in the country this time around is that at some point, a number of leaders stand up and say, we will not under any circumstances support a government or give our votes to a government which will 
perpetuate private education or endorse Trident or not offer a UK uh, in-out referendum in the next 12 months. That's true, because that's, like you say, there is no... So that's going to be critical. There is no form. So when you say you don't know how they decide, yeah, they go into a room. Yeah. Or a number of them go into different rooms. And they go to a room and if they don't like what happens in that room, they go into a different <coughs> room. Yeah. I, I last time. yeah, no, I... Um, thanks. I do understand that now. Uh, I, it's more that I don't get like how we know who won in general. Do you mean like... I understand PR, like, which we don't yeah. have. Yeah. Okay, so, that sounds okay, so, like that makes a lot well, more there, sense there to a, me. There's than a thing called what, constituencies. Do you know what they are? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so each of those bucks. returns one MP, and then if there are more MPs of one party than anything than anyone else, then they've got most number of MPs. Right, yeah. So it's just that. Okay. It's, it's, it's the total number of constituency but, MPs elected. That's why local So there are 653 MPs? Something like yes. that. Not, did it a, change last time? Yeah, it's not a million miles out. It's, it's around that. It's around it's a, that number. Okay. It's around that number. And the crucial let's call it let's pretend it's six hundred so the maths is easy. The crucial issue is not only it, it, you don't just need a government that wins more seats than all of the other than any other party. Mm. You need a government who's won more seats than all of the other parties put together. Because otherwise, in theory, the other parties could gang up and vote down their legislation. Okay. So that's what is meant by an absolute majority. And that's what traditionally has been either Conservative or Labour, because there were huge swathes of support that one way or the other that returned those. So now you know. Okay, I think it will probably be a Conservative government. On their own, an outright Conservative majority. Yeah, that's just the feeling I get. Okay. Um, But I think... Actually, I think status quo. I think it will be the same. Really? Yeah, I think there will be an awful lot of of sound and fury, and then I think that the UKIP vote will exist, but not be as strong as people are worried. I think the Green vote will melt away and not materialise in forms of seats. Mm-hmm. I think the Labour Party will struggle to do any better than they did last time. I think the Liberal Democrat vote will collapse nationally, but be concentrated in the seats where they have MPs, and so most of their MPs will end up being re-elected. I think they'll hold wow. bands of power, and I think they'll pick Tory. Um, and I think it will just carry on. Whether or not that parliament will last another five years, I'm not at all sure. But I, I, I think, because I think that coalition will be under greater strain than this one. But I think, I think that's what I think will happen. Wow. I think Vince Cable loves his red box that much. I think, I think Vince Cable might not be part of it. But I think the, the calculation will be, will be different. I just... You think Lib Dems will be able to hold on to that, that many seats? Yeah. I tend to agree, actually. I think they'll keep two-thirds of the ones that they've got oh, at the moment, them. at least. But their so, approval rating and, and when they go into the is little less than Green and UK. There is, it is, mm. but yeah. not That's, in Lewis. Yeah. Not in Lewis. This is a, a Liberal Democracy. Yeah, yeah. And it's because, because the MPs they have are these personal MPs who people yeah. like in their constituencies. There's a lot of truth in that. It's holding up where, mm. they, ha- where they need it to hold up. Yeah, they up. love Norman Baker in Lewis. They, they always yeah. liked him. <laughs> isn't that kind of the, the fundamental problem with the system, though? That in, and that, isn't that what people are starting to suss out? That it doesn't matter how nice your MP is, when they get into court, they're voting on, on the party whip. And if the party whip for the, for the Lib Dems is telling them to vote with a Conservative policy, mm. they're going to vote with a Conservative policy. And I think people are starting to figure that out now. It may well be. I mean, I think... I think it may well be. I just I think that I just don't see. I think people. I think what the Liberal Democrats have done very well 
on is, is the constituency level. I think they've done that better than almost anything else. And I do that just, just from the direct experience of watching Norman Baker, but I've heard people say very similar things yeah. they say about him in good. other constituencies. And I think they've got, really got that down of having nice, well-meaning middle-class mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. go to other mm -hmm. nice, well-meaning middle-class people and be friends with them. And so it's very just very difficult for them to lose those seats. And I just think their vote will collapse in seats where they aren't going to win and will hold up where they are. I and I think, I think that people do think that. I think they think it less in Liberal Democrat constituencies, to be perfectly honest. So, I mean, I, that's, that's also all the other ones were taken. So, I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, you've got none left. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm with you on this one. You I can't think. be. You've got to have your own. Really? Well, well I suppose I we think... are married, so you get to share the money. Yeah, well, yeah. There is, there is um, one other numerical possibility which. Oh, well, I suppose that what, one of them is, is, would, be to, uh, would be Tory UKIP, which is also a possibility, isn't it? Which would be a very bad one, maybe. I don't know. Um, I mean, if if UKIP had been around as long as the Lib Dems, mm. the the way that they, the way that they make friends with people is not dissimilar to the way that the Lib Dems make friends with people. They just make friends with different kinds of people. So, in different places. Um, in different <laughs> places. So maybe. Yeah. So that isn't you know. But I think they're not really established enough. If they manage to survive UKIP then, you know, in like five or ten years, they would be in the same position, mm. I think. So it could be Tory UKIP. Because the really interesting thing about this election, I think everyone knows this now, is that there is this sense that whereas every election in history, well, not in history, <coughs> but every election that is in living memory has kind of been this post-war consensus divide between two, a centre-left party and a centre-right party, and it goes between those two, there is this idea that that has fractured and that this will be an election where small parties make a huge difference. How true do we think that is? Do you think that's something real? Because I have the suspicion that almost all of that is explained by the failure of Ed Miliband to lead the Labour Party properly, and that were he not in charge of the Labour Party and a convincing leader was, that an awful lot of the... I think, I think what would happen is that there would be this sort of sense that Labour had supplanted the Tories as a natural party of government, after in that long period where Tony Blair was Prime Minister and among the people there was this general sense that you know that there are the Labour Party that that's who we elect for government in the way that the Tories had been previously. I think, I think, and that, I think that, that is that, massively to underestimate the the emotional scarring of the financial crisis and the extent to which Brown is personally held responsible for it. The, you, I think the, the, the problem... Excellent. A right-wing view. Uh, it, uh, no, I don't think that is a right-wing view. I think that is a, an accurate reading of the political landscape, is all that is. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that people are right to hold Brown responsible for it, although I think it was hubris to say we have abolished the economic cycle. We've abolished Why, could, why couldn't they win, then? If that scarring was there, why couldn't they I was win taking, the election? I was taking issue with your, with your suggestion that were it not for Ed Miliband, Labour would be presupposed to be the natural party of government, the same way that Tories were through the oh, back indeed, half yeah, sure. of the 20th century. It's not Miliband that broke that, it's 2007. Right, you're wrong. But I don't think it would. Because uh, then the, why didn't they the, win 2010? Why didn't because why they were blamed, the Tories Because the, win the that fear election? always, because the fundamental caricatures of the two parties has for a long time been... The Tories are heartless but competent managers, and Labour are well-meaning but can't necessarily be trusted with the economy. The reason that Blair was so successful was because he laid the ghost of that issue about whether or not he could be trusted with the economy, along with Brown and, and mm -hmm. his policies from number 11. The reason Major was faced such opprobrium was because actually he'd lost the, the competence argument, and therefore the Tories had become both heartless and incompetent, which is why they got such a pasting. But Labour were only ever on 
on their first at bat when it came to can we trust you with the economy and rightly or wrongly a large swathe of the electorate blames Balls, Brown et al for their handling of the run-up to 2007 and therefore all of those demons come back out of the closet when it comes to their electability and their trust factor I think on that key issue. <coughs> Do you think people would, would be more trustworthy of either if they all just went look we don't have any control over what we say we do. It's bollocks. It <laughs> is banks. It is corporations. That is it. I, I, do you I think if they just say... held their heads, hands up and said, it doesn't really matter because we can't really do anything, maybe we'd just go, okay, fine, we'll just vote the nice people <laughs> in there, the ones we finish, like. Let me finish stating my position, which I think you've done a pretty good job of arguing against. Um, but let me finish stating it just so we can open it to other people and see who they agree with. Um, I, when I say that they supported the natural party government, I think that I mean actually, because actually that is your analysis of that is interesting, and I think it's it is the conventional wisdom certainly from the right that that was the division that people have this sort of sense that Labour really cannot. Click. I don't believe that. I I always find it difficult to fully accept that because I don't, I think it was a more emotional thing. I think people were looking at Michael Foot, and I don't think they were going. They were looking at Michael Foot and Neil Kinnock, and I don't think people were thinking mm, these guys can't be trusted to run the economy. I think they were thinking. What are these guys? <laughs> these guys can't be trusted to run the pub. Like, it's like mm. you know, this guy wants to unilaterally disarm, and that's mental. And, mm. and this guy's Welsh, and he keeps going, "All right." And like, it's just—I think people, I think it's a more emotional thing. I think it goes deeper than this than this kind of fairly cerebral analysis of the economy. And I think I emotionally, it's not just the economy. Let me it's finish, the, it's let me the issue finish, of competence. Well, it's the issue of competence, but I think issue of competence, people's understanding of what competence means. I don't think it's a, a balance sheet issue. I think it's an emotional issue. And I think. To my mind, I think people, and again, I know this isn't something you agree with, but I want to say both sides of that. Um, to my mind, that emotionally there had been this change and that the Tories had become so disgraced <coughs> up to 97 that the idea of them forming government was that even in the midst of an economic crisis, they weren't able to win that 2010 election. Mm -hmm. And the Labour Party's strategy ought to have been safe pair of hands, wait out the bad years, just get easily re-elected in five years' time. And instead, they went mad and elected a Miliband leader. And so you have the situation now where people are going, I simply can't vote for Labour Party because that man will be Prime Minister. So you get this stuff. And I think, personally, that the support for UKIP and the Greens and maybe not the SNP, but certainly the, the, this whole fracturing thing would fall to pieces were Labour Party to put forward a competent Prime Minister. So I think those are me and Joel's opinions. Who wants to tell us a third way? Chris has got his hand up. I have my hand right up in the Don't air. put your hand up, just shout. OK, no, that's, that's not very democratic, is it? <laughs> um, so I think there is truth to what both of you say. I agree. Um, but I think there's a, another aspect to this, which is that it's harder and harder for people in centre-left or centre-right uh, parties of of any description to look convincing uh in a world where more people feel and demonstrably are economically disenfranchised or feel certainly feel that way um so <clears throat> which is why the this sort of move to uh, alternative parties for want of a better word is something that we're seeing across europe and not mm -hmm. just in the UK. Um, that's what I think. Uh, I think there's something else as well as that, though. Um, I think we have to 
give credit to the people, to the electorate, for to actually becoming more knowledgeable about this. With the rise of the internet, and particularly in the last seven or eight years of social media, it, information is out there, and okay, some of it is shit, but you know, there's probably equal amounts of shit on social media as there are in the national media, you know, mm -hmm. in the published media. And I think what you've got is you've got you. I think you're right. You've got people who are disenfranchised. They no longer connect. Don't feel any kind of connection with politics or with the electorate. So they're going out and they're looking for alternative solutions. And I think it's in part due, as well due to both what you were saying. I think there's there's some truth in the Ed Miliband thing, and uh, there's some truth in the economic situation. I th I think that they're both um, they're both. Uh, reasonable explanations but I think as well there's more knowledge out there and people can go out and they can find things out and they see things on their Facebook feed they see things on Twitter they read things on internet sites that, that seven, eight years ago you wouldn't have had access to and as a result they're going hang on a minute there is another solution to this. There are alter alternative methods. And whether they're using those as a protest vote or whether they're using those to, to signal their disgust with, it, with the, the larger parties, I don't know. But for me, it seems you've got almost two splinter groups in that group. You've got those, and this is where I come back to my humanist stan stance, you've got those who, um, who kind of work on the basis of hate and they tend to go to UKIP and you've got the ones who work on the basis of love and they tend to go to, to, to the green side. So I think, because the, the Lib Dems have let them down, so I think a lot of it is to do with knowledge as well as everything else that's going along. And I think we've got a changing, as well as a changing political landscape, we've also got a changing information and education landscape. I think that... You are absolutely right in everything that you say, but I think you've drawn the wrong conclusions from it, if I may. I think that um, what is true of all of us in this room when it comes to um, the conversation we just had about our predictions for the general election, which is we don't know enough at the right level of specificity yeah. to speak with authority on things we should, if we put ourselves forward in this particular instance, we should perhaps be able to speak uh, to with authority. We don't know enough because this election is going to be so dominated by those micro-arguments that you were talking about, Simon, mm. at constituency, at constituency to constituency level, um, SNP in, the, in, in Scotland and so on. We don't know enough about the key issues necessarily to make the right calls on the calls that we just made. I think what you're talking about is the politics of anecdote. That, I think, is the information that's in the public sphere that informs the Russell Brand nonsense. That, I think, is what people get from social media. That, I think, informs UKIP voters who read one story which may or may not have been fact-checked about a family who may or may not have done what they are purported to have done, who may or may not have come from the country that we are claiming that they came to, who may or may not be in the country legally. Um, and, on the other side, about a bank who may or may not have paid taxes, about which there may or may not be an open dispute rather than it being clear-cut one way or the other. I think the danger is an electorate which, which thinks itself more informed, but actually is looking at tiny minutiae rather than properly understanding the size, the, the reality of some of the issues they're being asked to decide yeah, upon. I, I think and that's, in a way, that's more dangerous than an ignorant electorate that knows it's ignorant. Well, I, I, I would disagree with you on that point. I disagree with you because I think... Well, no, I don't know if I'm disagreeing with you, actually. Sorry, I jumped in there because I picked Umbridge or something you said and immediately went, No, I'm going to disagree with you! Which I disagree isn't with him. Which isn't Good. how to do it. No, I, I disagree with you on um, the fact that um, 
No, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I'm starting this one. Stop encouraging me. Um, <laughs> I agree with everything you said. <laughs> Close this down. <laughs> I, I agree with what you said. I think, um, but I think that the, the problem I have with it, uh, and it is a problem, and, and that's my ego kicking in, but the problem I have with it is the message I'm getting from that is trust the mainstream media. And, and that's what I can't do. No, I agree. I agree. I don't, I don't have an answer. I absolutely don't have an answer, I think and I was worried. Job. I was worried that what I just said sounded a bit like, <laughs> well, well, just either do what your union leader tells you, or be a good forelock tugging Tory and do what your Which government tells you. Want and to I don't. I absolutely <laughs> don't think that that's the right. Do you thing think to do one either. of the main problems is that we don't have civics at school? So I always feel a bit like there's this sense in which you're supposed to trust journalists, and journalists are cool, and you watch Jeremy Paxman, and it's all like, you know, isn't he great? But he's just a journalist. And quite a, a lot of like local politicians have to come and knock on your door and like be friendly to you and make an effort and all this stuff. And you're kind of like, maybe it would be better if we had a bit more understanding about the just basic local politics level stuff. Because I, is there a division between? Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, so do I. Is, yeah. Is there a division between the demagogue wing of the alternative parties? And is there? But aside from that, is there a core? That is not nonsense. Yes. So, you, I mean, you referred to Russell Brand. I, I just, I, you know, I, I think Russell Brand. To me, Russell Brand is like when you're 18 and you first get into politics, and yes. you think it's all, yeah. I just think you're so right, but then you think about it for 10 years and you develop. But I don't know that Russell. You can judge like Thomas Piketty's argument on Russell Brand, and in this, to the same sense, I kind of get the feeling that UKIP is this party that has this core pr led by Douglas Carswell that's this libertarian within the spectrum of reasonable opinion party, yeah. but has, a, has after the collapse of the BMP, has dragged in all of their detritus and that is led by a joke. And, and I wonder if, I wonder if that, that we kind of, it, it's too easy to dismiss the alternative parties because of the demagogue front that appears on social media. But actually, as well as that, there are things which are... Demagogue? More, so people who say things... Um, that they know the, the people who play to the gallery and right. say things for the sake of yeah I'm trying to think of a really good example well I can think of one there was, there was an article I read recently which was titled something like George Osborne admits he's wrong on the economy and you click on it and there's absolutely nothing in there that, yeah. that says that people yeah, you say you say what people want to hear <coughs> yeah. to get the applause but actually what you're light. serving yourself <laughs> yeah but that that to, that sentence you just said to me is all of politics that is exactly what that's all I can see in it, which is why I don't care. But you don't think there's... It is people basically showing off. Well, I don't think that's true, because I, the people I know who have sort of tried and failed to be MPs and people who are kind of drawn to it... And, and I think okay, they do people want to make things better. Then. And I think on, on all mm. sides they want to make things better. I think, I think fundamentally the reason you pick politics over business when you're the kind of posh person who has that choice... <laughs> is that you go, well, I actually do want to make a difference. And I think there's an increasing tendency towards anathematization, this kind of sense that anyone who says they disagrees is not just wrong, but they are they're evil they and are on both sides. Mm. But actually, there are people who believe that immigrants are people who devalue work because they, they're a, they're, they come from a country where you can buy more with less money, so they, they depress wages for people in this country, and they want to make the working conditions of the poor better, so they oppose immigration. Yeah, I there think, are people yeah. who believe that a free market is a better solution yeah, to but that. That's quite, but all these people are not bastards. They no, just no, I think, think there are people that believe that, but then almost by just going into it, 
becomes... See, this is, this is my problem, I'm not articulate in any way. But it, it sort of becomes false immediately because, yes, they may well believe it, but it's not for the good of anyone except their own career. I would I'd have never... to disagree with you there because I'm always struck by the distance, uh, the difference between uh, people, politicians as represented by the media and the people that I actually meet that are yeah. being politicians on a... A much smaller, much more local Completely level. Agree with yeah, that. it's very different. Um, they're just, uh, regardless of the party, I've not, there was one notable exception where the guy didn't turn up and I won't mention the party. Um, but. Uh, Current MP for Hove, I've got on the exceptions list. <laughs> I'm not going to mention it, I'm going to be good. Um, but yeah, other than that, almost to a, to a human being, that the, the pers people that I've met have been extraordinarily passionate and have genuinely wanted to make life better for other people but this is the so problem this is the problem of the political system though because actually when you think you drill down to the actual what is the point of a politician what is a politician's job now i'm sorry but a politician's job is not to serve you and me it's not to serve the corporations a politician's job is to stay in power is to get power and stay in power and that's their only thing so they can come onto your door and they can knock on your door and they can say yeah i'm passionate about solving unemployment i'm passionate about helping marginalized people then they get in they get into the into parliament and the order comes down and right to stay in power, we have to vote this way on this issue, and they vote that way on that issue, even though they don't care, even though they might think something different. I think, I think that's, that's an overly, I think that's an overly cynical um, uh, reading of of the realities of, of particularly Westminster politics. Although, as always, and Simon will back me up on this, as always, there's a West Wing quote that says it better than I possibly could, uh, which is when uh, Liam McGarry defends himself against the charge that. Um, keeping the White House strong is in fact his number one priority and he says well if the White House isn't strong it really doesn't matter what number two on my priority list is and there is there is a way in which um, even well-meaning politicians can justify to themselves and indeed to you the argument that actually if by and large you think that having us in power is better for you and better for the country and better for the future than having this other lot in power then it is important that we stay in power, even if from time to time we have to do things that you or we or your children might find slightly discomforting or, or distasteful, because the overall uh, uh, grand uh, forward motion of, of events will be better served for all of us if we're the people with our, with our hands I on the leaders I think you just agreed with me. Only in, as, <laughs> only in as much as I don't think it has to be purely... I think the pursuit of... Uh, the continuation of their stay in power doesn't necessarily have to be exclusively cynical, which seems to be what you were saying. But well, if, no, it's the priority. You think, you, is, you, the motive, just it is, is their motive a bad one when they do that? Or is their motive that they think... Do they want the expense account and to be able to tell people they're MPs? Or do they want the opportunity to make the next decision? I don't think well, yeah, that's, 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 I think that's, that's oversimplifying a job. That's I a think. case by case basis. Every MP is individual. <coughs> and that's what I think uh, Chris is getting at. Yeah, they are all MPs. And I've met some lovely MPs, dare I say, even Tories. You know, they, they come across as lovely people. Um, Simon Kirby, when I was living in his constituency, mm -hmm. always gave me very nice replies to his emails. Would I vote for him? Would it's I bother? Only give to me. Uh, really? Because <laughs> the thing is, I, I now live in Caroline Lucas's constituency, and she took three months to reply to my email. Chris, Psst. shit in an envelope is not an email. <laughs> you don't deserve a reply for that. <laughs> but it was really nice shit. It was but, one of my best. So, so ideally, what what you'd want if you were uh, if you were someone like me who agrees with a variety of policies from a variety of parties is you'd like 
ideally to have those policies in one party, but you, that doesn't really happen. That's not how it works. I think in this situation, when you've got lots and lots more fringe parties, that's when it becomes really complicated. So my next step when I go to the voting booth is I either vote tactically, I pick the party I agree with the most policies, mm -hmm. or I vote... Um, or I vote what I would naturally vote, which is Labour. I can't really do that. I'm not really sure. I think that's the, I think that's the problem I have is at the moment that there are, there's no one party that has but enough. Compromise policy. isn't bad. Well, yeah, no, it isn't. The, the, the fact uh, that the fact that people live together and all believe different I, things compromise is almost necessary, yeah, and it's not immoral. To I compromise. think what I, I think that what will happen in that situation is I will do what a lot of people do, which is I will vote for a statesman, and I it's. It's a shame that it's not a stateswoman, but it is going to be a statesman. Um, I will vote for the person that I think is going to be the best um, in uh, at diplomacy, and I'll vote for somebody who um, will who would be able to gracefully and elegantly tell someone that their child had died in a war. Um, that and, requires and an that... enormous amount of, of personal commitment to research and engagement because it's relatively it's really... easy to be a statesman if you're a sitting MP. It's pretty tricky if you were a local councillor for five years I mean, and you your name, name is now on a ballot. Don't you? In that situation, you just look at them, you look at the way they perform as a leader and do, do a oh, you're talking about you're talking about voting for the on the basis of the leader of the party yeah, yeah, rather than so on your local MP. Ah, yeah, sorry, so I misunderstood. So that you would basically... Right. Look at, and at that point... Right, so you're then asking, who do I want to run the country? Segway. We can segue into the leadership debates yeah. from there. Oh, I Leader debates. Like, you know, oh, did like. you have interesting things to say? I had, I had something Always. I was worried about. <laughs> oh, do <laughs> share with the group. You, you can, is it medical? You can You can. You can. You. You gave me tremendous cause for concern there. Did I, Simon? Yeah, you did. Go on then. Um, you were trying very hard a little while ago to find a form of words which you would find. Uh, an acceptable justification for uh, voting for a party which you would otherwise find distasteful. You were talking to Al about uh, reasons one might mm -hmm. uh, vote for a party with a with a quite uh, strong anti-immigrant stance. And you, Almost, that's what I was doing. right? Quite, but, that was yeah. that was that was the direction of travel. I think. I, was, I think I was saying that, that it is possible to imagine that someone could be rational and kind and still be anti-immigration. That is that is correct. My concern is that even somebody um, with the um, uh, breadth of, of reading and the uh, perspicacity that you bring to the debate still can only find room in their heart for justifying that vote if you personally c can morally agree with the reasons behind it. You could also be a decent human being and feel that there was an element of, not that I am suggesting that this is my personal political belief, but there is nothing to stop you being a perfectly reasonable, decent human being and believe that there is a fundamental element of Britishness which is being eroded by having large swathes of an individual town or community which has become um, majority English second language, for instance. You could mm -hmm. be a perfectly reasonable person and think that your child is being disadvantaged by going to a school where the vast majority of people don't speak English as their first language or don't share important cultural touchstones with your child and your family and your history. It doesn't necessarily make you a bad person to believe these things. I don't think it necessarily makes you a bad person. And my, you could make a case that, that my concern is reasonable would be too far in such an occasion. My my concern is. I'm not sure is, you could be perfectly reasonable. 
my believe con- those things. I think you can uh, be a good person and believe them. My concern is, I think, I think different cultures around the world have, feel differently about the importance of the homogeneity of their culture and of the perpetuation of their um, uh, kind of historical uh, cu- cultural touch points. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Western Europe in particular has been very um, accommodating and very um, relaxed about uh, a... a uh, a morphing and a transformation of that over the course of the last 50 years. I don't necessarily think that it makes you a, an evil person not to be part of that well, okay. um, I mainstream. Think I said, I think, I think I my argument, my point, my point was simply, my point was simply to, to tie in what you said there about voters mm-hmm. and what was said over here about leaders and politicians, which is, I think we are in danger not only of demonising politicians, but of demonising voters. I think too much of the current debate and too much of the current um, conversation is about why people who believe this are bad, why people who espouse this are bad, why people who could vote for this party could never be trusted, could never be brought into the mainstream, could never be acceptable neighbours. And actually, there is, if you could drain some of that vitriol from the debate, concerning what people might reasonably believe as well as who they might reasonably elect, mm-hmm. I think you might get the fringe elements, the, the nastier fringe elements of the parties that you were talking about, having much less of a stick with which to beat their opponents and having much less sway within their own parties. If it didn't go without saying that, that, there, was, that there was malicious intent in the voters as well as in the leaders. Yeah, I think I think on, on in terms of being a good person or not, I completely agree with you. I think I think there are positions which, as reason progresses, possibly fall outside the definition of perfectly reasonable. I think that's I think that's an okay thing to say. I think it's I don't think that I don't think that entails an accusation of evil or malice to say to someone. I I find your interpretation of your role in this culture and the challenge of that culture to be unreasonable as a response to the fact, though I don't consider that malice was your motivating thoughts. So I think I think I almost agree with you, but your use of perfectly reasonable means that I don't quite. I, th- I think you're in danger of conflating mainstream with reasonable. I think that's I think I think there is an illiberality about the liberal Possibly. centre. Possibly, I think you probably have to draw a line somewhere. And I'm willing that's to perfectly reasonable. Almost. That's perfectly. So, okay. uh, that, that's, that's, you're that's, right in that. Rather. Okay. What, what's interesting about that though is that the the, the two things that. Because what you're effectively saying is, is that you know we, we shouldn't be judging people who have certain views as being evil regarding on which which side they come from, which I which I agree with, mm. um, uh, and I think we're all guilty of that. Uh, I think you know, we we can all do it from time to time if we're not careful, if we're not watching ourselves. The thing we have to look at is is why they believe those things and how they came to yep. believe those, and that comes down to two things. It comes down to education and media, which are things that we haven't really. Talk spoken about yet, but I don't agree with you on that. So. Yes, I think. Where, 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 where would you say those opinions come from then? History, from family, thi- from their own thinking, and I, I, don't, I just think it's vastly overstated ha- this idea that media controls people's thoughts. Really? I think, I think it's a huge. Yeah, I think it's massively overstated. Wow, well, I think we, family, community, social circles. Of course, but they're all influenced by education and media. There, there is there is a whole body of research on this, um, uh, and it, it sort of you, know, you you don't grow up to be a bad, but you don't grow up to be 
a child killer. I don't think there can be a thief body of research because you can't have a control group because everyone's exposed to media. So I don't think any research would be convincing to me because the research of that nature would require a control group that hadn't been exposed. Okay, to it's Scientologists. So you'd have to you'd have to find some people who lived in the cave and compare them, and you can't. What that has been done. There have the, the, been there have been comparisons with tribes, uh, with values um, on indigenous of indigenous right. tribes versus um, uh, westernized culture. Okay, example. yeah, but you, you you're still you're still attributing a direction to that that I don't think you can justify. Well, I wonder whether you could do a study where you sorry to interrupt, but I wonder whether you could do a study where you um, your control group was was one that didn't use the internet during an election campaign that didn't have access or wasn't exposed to it at all and then one that was to see how much um, more nuanced their debate was. Interesting or see. less. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. But then so you get questions about... something that you lose on the internet. But how do you yeah. even measure nuance? Yeah. You know? And you still, you still have... Yeah. This is the problem. I don't, I don't think you can draw up terms. I mean, even Nonsense in the situation where you have a tribe who you expose to Western media and observe the changes, you still don't have a control group. What you would need is you need people in the same period exposed to media and people in the same period not exposed to media and to see what the differences between them are. And I don't think that's a possible study. Um, so, I I think, so I think I, it all I, comes down to opinion. Coming from a very working-class background and you know, still being in contact with those friends, I... I uh, I see the effects. You, you can almost split the education and media um, exposure versus um, uh, with those who appear to have. Uh, and again, this is my Although perception. That must be self-reinforcing. Yeah, no, this is my own. This is my own. Um, sure. uh, Conclusion. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> analysis. Uh, experience. I'm going to start again. Just make I'm a sound, and we'll use that as the word. Yeah. That's all right. No, um, everyone um, knows what you mean. This, yeah, yeah this, this is based on, on what I've seen. But um, the 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 impact of the media and education just I, I, I find I find any anyone saying that the education and the media do not affect political views to be to be very difficult thing to swallow. But then why is there a plurality of political views? I don't know what. Why I mean. are there lots I'm, of different political? Just views? to break it down here, is anyone saying the media? Isn't influencing people's political. I'm saying the media is blindly influencing in a way that is greatly more than just the influence of being in a community. One of which, the way in which it speaks, one of which is media. I don't think I. I don't because I don't. Find, I find it impossible to. I don't accept that I am massively influenced in a subliminal, non-conscious way by media, and I don't think many people I know are. And I feel uncomfortable broadening. Okay, so you're saying I, that I, I feel uncomfortable saying there are masses of people, none of whom are my friends and who are not me, but there are masses of people who are sheep and are led in this uh, way. Okay. So you're saying that seems to be patronising and, and, and stupid. Is the monkey and not the organ grinder? Well, I'm saying I'm saying the media is just one of the ways in which people talk to each other, and the way and peer pressure is real. Okay, but no, the the idea seems to be that there's a malign influence that one can use media in order to control a desired result in the minds of people, and that's uh, not okay. Well, let, let, let me let me go back a little bit and give you a personal example. Um, the first time I voted was whatever the first election was in two thousand and something, and I was still living back home in Leicester, mm -hmm. um, and I was uh, you know regularly read the tabloids, um, and I was hanging around with people from that working class background where there were insinuations that immigration was a problem and foreign people were not good and um, the first time I voted uh, I voted UKIP 
Um, and to think anyone who knows me now would be absolutely shocked by that because since then I've I've done my own reading, I've I've researched things, and Back I've looked. Before at... it was cool. That's trailblazing. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I... <laughs> yeah, I went. I went to her early gigs. <laughs> <laughs> Early, early political hipster. No, um, I was at yeah. you back in the goldsmith years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I friend and party represent. It was, it, it was a it was it was a political vote. It was a political sure. vote. It was a protest vote because mm. I I, sure. I I didn't understand politics. And for me, the one thing I had to be in my bonnet about because if I was around was immigration. So I voted UKIP as the e- the easiest option because. Despite the fact I knew nothing about politics, something still told me not to vote Conservative. Um, so I, 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 I genuinely have, have no idea what that was. Um, but I, for some reason, I, vote, I voted UKIP. And then since then, uh, I've educated myself and, and, I, and I've moved to Brighton and I've, I've been influenced by my surroundings and the people around me um, to become educated and to find things out for myself. And I, and I hope I consider both sides of the argument so I'm, when I'm looking at things. Now, when I go back home, I still see people who uh, I remember prior to the last election I was given a list of, lift, uh, to a bunch of the lads on the football team and um, the first thing one of them said to me was uh, elections coming up yeah we've got to get this prick brown out haven't we and I was just totally taken aback by it because by this point I educated myself and I was like don't they know what the conservatives do don't they understand how it's going to affect their lives why is it why is it that the right fundamentally believes that the left is misguided, but the left believes the right is malign? Why is it that basically Tories think liberals are a bit woolly-headed, but Labour voters think the Tories are bastards? It's probably something to do with Margaret Thatcher. Where does that... Um, pre- no, it predates that. It predates that. Is it just and because... I, the... and, and there is... Your friends, your friends weren't alone in thinking we should get that prick brown out. Your friends were part of a of a significant yeah, of majority course, yeah, of opinion yeah. in the country. Well, not quite a majority. A significant plurality of opinion in the country. <laughs> that more more people thought that than thought any other single thing. Um, so why is it that without using words like like urban liberal mainstream ad reading but but why is it that there is a certain body of opinion and i'm genuinely asking which thinks that if only the people that didn't agree with them knew what they knew they would because i i don't believe that my political views are all over the map on all kinds of different issues but i don't believe that if you disagree with me it's because you aren't as learned do you believe that that because of what you know and how you live, your vote is correct, and if other people lived as you do and read what you do, they would agree with you. I'm going to go to your first question. There first. is a way you should vote. I'm, I'm going to go to your first question first, and the uh, you're absolutely right in what you say. And at that point, the, the story I just told you was the way I was thinking. Bearing in mind that's 2000 and which early 2010, I guess. Since so, since then. I've, you know, I've, I've moved on to my opinions, with my opinions and my research and my knowledge, and the, the peaceful humanist Buddhist inside of me absolutely agrees with what you're saying, and and there's a part of me gave myself a telling off as you said that because I thought, too right, who am I to judge the people? Who am I to to judge where they've come from? My point is more, um, or what their experiences are. Yeah, because exactly. it might be their experiences and their situation. Which informs their vote. Well, that, but and, that's my and point. They might have external factors acting on them, which are not acting on you, given your um, uh, education, level of income, uh, life experience, life expectancy, family situation. So 
your reasons for voting might be different from their reasons for voting, which well, would they, automatically lead you to different conclusions. I, uh, so you can both be right for yourselves, can't you? Yes, I, I, I suppose you can. And, and I was talking to Chris earlier about the impact of uh, background um, on uh, an environment, on um, on people's opinions and people's uh, behaviours. I think my uh, my issue now is that I always take as a I'm boring myself by saying the word humanist over and over again, but I always take a humanist view on things, and I'm not um, and I've actually gone beyond politics. So to despite <laughs> there is this still part of me, and I have said a few called the Tories out several times because I do believe that um, I I I I will I will go on record and say I I believe there is something more sinister about them. I, I, I do believe that is that is the way. But also, I believe Labour are Tory light, and there's something equally sinister about them. The reason that I came on board of this and I said I'm on the verge of Green slash not voting was because when I looked at Green's policies, it's the first time I've looked at the Greens, uh, looked at a party and gone, that's moving towards a more caring, more humanist society. That should be more widely known. Ironically, I read that in a, I read their policies in the Telegraph. Yes, um, I read that article. Yeah, um, and, and was terrified by it. <laughs> really? Yeah, me yes. too, actually. Do you do um, you reckon? Um, but I wasn't because I didn't know what was in it. Do you reckon yeah. that your experience of growing up where you grew up um, makes you feel like you have that you are entitled to an opinion about what those people think? Because like the, the way we have... were talking about Leicester is quite sad. It's all right. Like, Actually, we needed you to make a couple of cuts. Quite so nice that you, around the same age as you and stuff, and and you you know your experience might help them to 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 know more maybe about their local politics than maybe like just the chit chat in the pub. Then then your experience has value. It's not it's not valueless. It's is you know is something that you can share with them, because you have gone out and learned a bit more and yeah know, it, it's it's and that, that, I think that happens in in all again, politics. If they are con- terribly terribly patronising again, I think they, everyone's been terribly patronising. I think this is this is getting close to this is really interesting. I think it's close to being something that we can move on from though. Um, oh, I wanted to say something that I might regret before that happens. No, no, say something. <laughs> yes, do that. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, I guess, no, I was thinking about, Joel, your, when you talked about, not about whether someone might be right or wrong and whether they're entitled to their opinion, because I agree with you on that. But you said, why Why is the right always seen as bastards? Um, and I'd like to answer that question. If I'm, <laughs> um, oh so uh, we, like we do here, tend to opine and have a lot of big opinions and make out that um, we have... A rational argument and then our emotions follow but that's not actually what's happening what we do is we have a feeling in our gut and then we make up something to fit around to justify that. it yeah um and i suppose the yeah. feeling in my gut about conservative politics i mean it with a small c is that it feels like a limiting of compassion yeah i would agree it feels like your making the world of people that you care about a very small one and that's why it feels like that and it's totally unfair to say that toys are bastards that's not fair that's a really interesting point i think the thing that the thing that i find tremendously discomforting about the the current government Mm. is that i was um 
born to low middle class parents who did very well for themselves by running a business and I went to a nice grammar school in a nice area and I went to a good rhetoric university and I have a good degree. And I don't think that that comparatively extraordinarily privileged background would get me even the edge of a toe in the door of a Cameron cabinet. And if I feel socially disenfranchised from a Cameron cabinet <laughs> yeah. with all of that with, with, with that extraordinarily privileged background, the level of disenfranchisement at, at, for any other, um, uh, for, for people of any other background is, is beyond my comprehension. And it is incredibly dangerous to have a, a, a cabal of uh, leaders who are that... Exclusive. Um, who are that? That's exactly the word. Who are that exclusive? I think if you look at, um, for instance, Thatcher's personal pedigree or the major cabinet, mm. um, uh, and there is a there is a conversation about grammar schools, which actually impinges on on this particular we'll do issue. Do a whole podcast on that. Um, but you see, you see. Yeah, we'll do a podcast on that. Um, but you see a route. You see a route, and I think what you see with the with the Tory squirearchy which is increasingly the part of the, the party which seems to be in the driving seat at the moment, is, as you say, a group of people who, who are in danger of looking exclusively self-interested and who are looking after their, the, the private economic and social concerns of a very, very small ruling elite. What I would say on the, on the opposite side of the argument is there was a wonderful one-liner from Ian Duncan Smith when he went to the Glasgow East by-election and he was heckled from the doorstep in the poorest constituents in the country, where the average life expectancy is 53 years old, somebody shouted at him from the doorstep, what are you doing up here? This is a labour area. And IDS shouted back, and look what it's done for you. And there is an argument that at its best, some of, some of the social policy, which comes from the right of centre, um, which is traditionally the area where people do feel that that those politicians can be inward-looking and can be bastards. There is an extent, I, I think, to which some of that social policy is unencumbered by some of the ideological baggage that comes from the left, and therefore can, and again, there's a, there's a conversation about grammar schools here, can improve social mobility and can improve... Opportunity. I think there's a really interesting whole diversion. I mean, you spoke, you said small C conservative, didn't you? And mm. I think that's an interesting. I mean, because there is, when you think about it, there is no reason why believing life begins at conception should mean that you want to deregulate banks. I mean, so and I'm there a is this kind of arbitrary guy, division between a, right and left. Yeah. And you know, I, I think you you kind of have this extreme thing, whereas small C conservative is, I think, what Chris is talking about, where there is this limiting of compassion because small C conservatism is about at its heart, and it's pejorative, but it's in-group morality, and it's, it's these are the people we care about, and then we care about furthering those people, and the... Right, the I mean, so the, but that's, the kind of, that's not the Conservative Party, that's mostly Conservatism, but that really doesn't say anything much about Conservative economic policy, or as you talk about, specific areas of social policy. This is a very, very long argument that we could have. I think we need to Bring not have it. it now, because I think there are more things to talk about, and I think we should come back to it at another time and I think there's a lot to be said about it we should do something more specifically just on that 
Why time, Mr. Dimblebait? Well, no, I think I think you could do a whole podcast <laughs> just why a Tory's oh, bastard. Oh, no, he's not like <laughs> I didn't say yeah. it was one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is there another brother who didn't go into it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm that one. Yeah, big, big Fred Dimbleby <laughs> just runs his farm Johnny. has a lovely time. Yeah. <laughs> Sid Dimbleby just formed a band and wasn't, wasn't interested in all that bollocks. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah. You just did? Just upstairs to the right. Thank you. <laughs> Says, yes. Um, Julia mentioned earlier quite a articulate way of just talking about how you decide to vote. And I just wondered if, without anyone having feeling pressured to say who they voted for in the last election, how did everyone make the decision of who they voted for? Because as someone who doesn't really have any yeah, impetus that. to vote, yeah. when was it? How do you was do it? it? Twenty thousand and ten. I did vote last time. Okay. But I probably won't this time. Well, I, I, the well, question of like, how start, do you? I made my decision not because I was um, working for the candidate, and it would have been really out of order not to vote for the bastard. So, um, I think to be fair, also, we can throw your decision therefore a little further back in time. And and to, I, to be if fair, it goes without saying, if you're working for a candidate, you'll be voting for him. He, why did you start working for yeah, that candidate? Is, is the equivalent as question in your case precisely the number of votes required to keep his deposit literally on the vote? <laughs> it's lucky I did do that. He got his deposit back. He got his deposit back by one vote. It was fantastic because I got to. I was at the count doing like watching them to see if they put the crosses in the right way, and there was an amazing moment where I was because it's in the gym at Lewis Lewis Centre. Incidentally, is amazing. I've I never thought I'd get to do that. That's what I mean. I've done it loads. I used to turn up. Like, My mate Tom does it too. The ones in Brighton always really good. Way better than reading an article. I found myself. I found myself in the in during the course of that evening just sat on a exercise bike watching the election in a gym and you know people were kind of in and out because they had the tv on there so that was where you'd go and watch the tv was the exercise the little gym i sat on this exercise bike and it was just me and this one bloke and i looked over at him it's the bmp candidate and i'm just sat there in a gym (laughs) watching the election with the bmp candidate and something happened like some seat was declared or something and like something and he looked over at me and just did this little Little, little nod, little, little little sound with his mouth, and I went. I can't respond to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. What, I don't know what to do. The I'm British, the British impulse to tut just wasn't enough. <laughs> yes. Well, I couldn't tut. I mean, it's like because that would be quite aggressive. In when you're on your own in a gym with a skinhead Nazi who, who's just expressed his satisfaction with something on the phone, you can't just tut at him. That's, the, that's a recipe for disaster. So um. Yeah, that was an interesting night. But it was yeah, but good. But yeah, um, Does that he, answer the question? But, 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 but <laughs> it answered the decision. How I decided was yeah. I was working for the candidate. How I decided to work for that candidate yeah, yeah. was because I knew his brother. And um, <laughs> <laughs> not really. No, it was, I, no, I'm a member of the Labour Party. I, I, until this election, it would have, it was a fait accompli. I, I always did that. It was this the family vote, and that's the way we vote. And uh, yeah. and uh, is that responsible enough? Yeah, because I think I think I, I'm you're part of a movement, and I kind of I'm on the right of the Labour Party, but I think I kind of I'm a part of a coalition that is vaguely in favour of the same things, and I'm willing to compromise with those people in a way that I probably would be less willing to compromise with the other people because there's things I agree with the Tories about, but I to be honest, I'm not willing to let that many Etonians be in the cabinet. It's no, not yeah, acceptable. Yeah. It's not yeah, acceptable it on any level, and not acceptable because 
it's it's obvious it's not fair because it is impossible that those are the most qualified people yes. as, yeah. as, as a circumstance of birth. Yes. Notwithstanding the quality of the education, it is simply statistically... Yeah. It cannot be no. that those yeah. are the people yeah. who should be in charge. So, and, and have no basis on representing... So I am happier, yeah, pal. Yeah. Yeah. I am happier to compromise to with the people who make up the Labour movement yeah. until that the makes current sense. leadership. I get that. So up until that point, I vote Labour because I just vote Labour. That's what I do. Mm. Um, I probably won't this time, but that's for another day. I get that. Julia, how did I you decide? I voted Labour. Because um, I fucking told her to. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I voted with the husband. No, um, uh, I, again, I think because of the candidate, but I really loved, I loved it. I loved being, I loved meeting all the, the like lovely ladies who made sure that everything, everything was precisely done and they really cared about it. And then the people on the bikes who delivered all the votes and big boxes and stuff. And I just, I remember thinking, this is magical. This is something that everyone should get a chance to do. Just because it's so funny and, and delightful. And there's like an old man with a radio listening to the votes coming in. And there's like a, it's fantastic. It's, it's a superb thing to be able to do. So I voted Labour because we were... You didn't know all the parties are doing that, did you? <laughs> yeah, no, no, of course. But like, Even the BMP. <laughs> yeah, but, but that is also fantastic. Democracy in action. It's wonderful. It's, it was it was brilliant. I'd like to concur with Julia on that last point. I think the people that, that um, run the, the boxes are just the best just people great. in the world. On so great. Brighton yeah. does the race, doesn't it? Brighton's one of the constituencies that tries to get in first every time. There's no, one. it's not Brighton. No, it's, it's not, not Brighton home. Brighton, isn't it? No, not Brighton. Because okay. there's there's three um, constituencies in Brighton, so they wouldn't have a chance. Yeah. I thought it was somewhere in Kent. Yeah, but somewhere, around, right. somewhere around there. Right. Chris, how did you do I that? also voted Labour, and the circumstances were I was doing some issue campaigning for the WWF. Uh, world Wrestling? No, no, uh, important <laughs> to make the distinction there. No, I was not lobbying for the World Wrestling. And that's WWE, as, should, as oh, yeah. we all know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was my now, extraordinary <laughs> wrestling physique. Um, <laughs> and we, uh, it was a... It was and is a very marginal constituency, which is uh, Brighton Kemp Town. Um, there was so there were two guys that had a chance of getting in. There was a Labour guy, the Tory guy. Um, we did a hustings and we did a whole bunch of campaigning with all the candidates, and we met every single candidate apart from the uh, current Labour, uh, the current Conservative member for Kemp Town, who declined our invitation to speak to us or correspond with us on every occasion. Um, on that basis, fair enough. I um, see you didn't have me coming. I uh, voted for the Labour guy. Hmm. And did you vote? Probably to all of you. Well, it's kind of been answered, but I suppose for the person. Um, do you, yeah, and also vote because there's a sense of voting people out, which even I've even heard. Oh, I, um, I okay, I'll let you come to that. Yeah. Sorry, Karen. Yeah. Um, last election, I voted Labour, um, and. I came to a conclusion uh, because I, I did a lot of research. It was the first time I'd taken an active interest in politics, so I did a lot of research. And um, which, which constituency? I was at the time. It was Brighton Pavilion. Right. Okay. Yeah, I was in Hanover, so I was Brighton Pavilion. Um, yeah, and it was the the three candidates. We had um, Nancy Platts for Labour, mm-hmm. uh, Caroline Lucas for the Greens, obviously, and um, Charlotte Veer for um, Conservatives, and. Um, I, going back to personalities again, I, I actually liked all of them. Um, the one who I didn't like was Caroline Lucas at the time. I just found, found her to be quite arrogant, whereas Nancy I've met a couple of times. I really liked the yeah, person. Nice. Um, Charlotte's amazing. She's got minions. We, we, I was doing a radio show with my friend Paul at the time and she came in to be interviewed and she had these, these just these two 
silent men who stood behind her. Because she's amazing, she's very, very blonde, very sleek, very powerful looking um, Aryan woman. And she just would march in with these two men behind her who would not speak for the entire time. And they looked just amazing. <laughs> I thought she was terrifying. Well, she, but I, I, I was trying to debate with them all on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, and Nancy and Caroline joined, uh, and Charlotte joined in, but Caroline wouldn't get involved at all. Which actually, in hindsight, I have more respect for. But Charlotte, I was actually very impressed with. You know, she, uh, and I wouldn't say there was ever a point where I, I would consider voting for her, but there was a point where I actually blogged. That there would be more chance of me voting for Car- for for her than there was for the Greens at the time, which was um, quite a, a thing for me. And my reason behind it was that I looked at the Greens policies and I went, none of them's realistic. They're not going to get in. It's not going to matter. So I'm not going to vote for them. Um, and I wanted to keep the Tories out. So I was like, well, let's let's get Labour in. Um, I, and also, there was the thought of I could vote for the Greens as a protest vote because it looked like the Greens were going to get in and Labour weren't. Um, but it, to me, it didn't seem that clear cut, and I didn't want to move away from my principles enough to do a protest vote. So I went, I went with Labour, um, which is interesting because that's uh, influenced my thinking this time around. Right. Which I think I'm going to get onto a different time. But um, yeah, that's how I voted the last election. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, interestingly, nobody has answered the question accurately yet because you said, "How did you vote in the last election?" And the last election in which we all voted was the European election. Um, I mean, general. Which I did not would have vote been. in the European election. But it's a, but it's <laughs> an interesting. It's a Roman party. It's an interesting. It's an interesting question because actually, um, one of the things which I think should determine how people vote if they're properly informed about their um, uh, the role they're playing in the democratic process is the constituency in which they live and the likelihood that they're going to be making uh, a marginal difference. Uh, one of the reasons that the New Labour uh, majority was so huge in 1997 was because of um, vast tactical voting that had never been seen before and people where uh, constituencies where there might have been a significant uh, Liberal Democrat vote in that particular year, um, there was such a feeling of let's kick the Tories out that that was always going to swing towards either the Labour or in some cases the Liberal Democrat candidate, whoever had the, the stronger chance of defeating an incumbent Tory. I, uh, at the last general election, uh, was living in a constituency where traditionally the Conservative vote is weighed rather than counted. So my vote wasn't going to make any difference either way. Yeah. Um, I, um, I will uh, reveal that thus far I was the only person in the room not to vote for the Labour Party. Um, yeah, that's terrible. Really, that's, <laughs> I'm, I feel ashamed. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, therefore, yeah. <laughs> you have an answer my own question. Um, and, um, and I felt that for two reasons... Um, that particular uh, vintage of uh, conservative politicians were worth uh, giving my backing to, were worth giving a chance. As I say, not that I, I knew that my vote would, would matter in as much as any individual mo- vote matters. Firstly, because I felt it was important that the um, brown balls approach uh, the brown balls. <laughs> brown balls <laughs> again. The, other way around. the Gordon Brown Ed Balls um, uh, the brown duop- balls duopoly, duopoly on uh, the economic policy Some of the country. Makes it worse. <laughs> there wow. was a there was a I had a problem with a brown balls duopoly. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you uh, and um, and I felt I felt with my with my gentlemen, please. Um, and I felt with my, my limited um, uh, economic um, literacy that their proposals for getting us out of 
the deepest economic shit we'd been in at the very least since the Callaghan government had to go to the IMF, but in all likelihood uh, since significantly prior to that and the worst economic situation we'd been facing since the 1930s, their uh, analysis of what had happened and their proposal to fix it were in both cases hold very deeply below the waterline and were a very significant danger to the well-being of the country as a whole. So I felt they, that there was a gen, genuine civic responsibility to remove those people's hands from the tiller. And I also felt that for the first time we had on the opposition benches a group of people who had had the same jobs in opposition for a very significant period of time. We had Gove at Education, IDS at um, Social Security and Lansley at Health all of whom hadn't been shuffled around by Cameron for many, many years. And that hadn't been the case of a potential incoming government for a long time. People tend to jump portfolios more than that. And these guys genuinely had plans. I happened to think that in the main they were good plans, but I was kind of more excited that they just had plans that they'd been working on for a long time, that in almost all cases they'd been at their department or that their, um, they had had that brief for longer than their opposite number on the government benches had been at the department they were purporting to run. So I kind of felt that if you're ever going to present yourself as a potential government, as an opposition, the, that Cameron team had done everything they could possibly have done to put themselves in that position. The same is true, of course, of Osborne at the Treasury um, or, uh, or with the economic brief as was. So I felt there was a good negative reason for removing the Labour government and a good positive reason for giving that particular vintage of, of Conservative politicians an opportunity to see what they could do since they seemed to have a plan and that was exciting to me. Um, cool. at, the, at the European election that came a couple of years uh, later no, there no, was a different there was a very different analysis because it's a different uh, vote and yes. it's not as the conclusion isn't as foregone so I think you vote with different things in mind. How did you vote for police commissioner? I don't. I'm pretty confident that in Buckinghamshire we were more sensible than even two of us for one. Do you not have to do an A? Pretty sure. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I, 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 there I think, isn't one. I think that's the only no, vote no, I've been eligible for in my adult life. I didn't vote for because we were away and I didn't get around to filling the thing. But I would. I would have. All, I think if I'd been, I would have voted for the Tory because she was literally the only, the only person qualified. who asked me to vote for her. Uh, right. no, like no, no, nobody no, else cared. I would, I tweeted the others going, "Should I vote for you?" And they just didn't reply. <laughs> I got no <laughs> literature. I got nothing. Oh, I got right. nothing. Whereas literally the only person who said will you please vote for me and like, I was well, so annoyed at everyone else I might have voted for Al so Al how did you Al. vote at the last general election in 2010 I'd done a website <laughs> and it told me to vote Liberal Democrats I did which which website I side with .co.uk how clever there is a website is there that, yeah. that, There's several. that tells you There's it's, several it's run by Liberal on... Democrats I found, <laughs> I found a more colourful one libdem.org.uk forward slash how you should vote <laughs> <laughs> I, I've done it again recently and it still thinks I should go with them but I didn't like it was too it was a bit too complicated so I'd done another one mm -hmm. yeah called policies not personalities that's the one mm. and that said overwhelmingly green but I think I'm going away when the election is. So I just <laughs> 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 Sounds as though you've got prejudices now, so you yeah. need to. I mean, if I'm not there. So sorry. So last time you did, you did. This is brilliant. I had no idea that these existed. Okay. And, and I'm not entirely I'm sure. I'm not entirely sure that if they do exist, they shouldn't be mandatory. 
Actually, well, I don't know. I, 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 the, per, the policies, not personalities, what annoys me a little bit because I think it's like it, it does. It presents the policies as described by the parties, but I think in isolation that you That's can't. Better tell than any, nothing. Though. It's better than nothing, but you can't tell anything about whether you really. I mean, things. You know, it's like I, I was trying to explain this, to say this to Alvin before you arrived, but it's like you, if someone, if if if, you know, if Ted Nugent, yes, is able to say. I would like to give free Twinkies. Who's to, Ted Nugent? He's a sort of mad gun-toting right. American. Okay. Uh, yeah, but you know, if he if he moved to the country and just just came up with a policy that sounded really reasonable, but when you saw him saying it, he sort of screened it in your face from an inch away. But like you, you'd go on policies, not personalities, and it would go, "Oh, vote for Ted Nugent." You agree with that? But you, you're not getting the experience of it being. I, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's, it's important. Both factors it, should it, weigh. It, Julia's it, point about statesmen. I also think personalities are important. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It, it, it's, it is interesting to do because you because you do get a feel for the uh, for the policies. I mean, interestingly, when I did when I voted, I went on it and it told me to vote green, and I went, "No, fuck that, I'm voting Labour." Um, <laughs> but so it, it's like flipping a coin, yeah, and that, yeah. then you find out what you want by knowing what you hope for. Because the thing is. Of course, is, is that you, you can take it the way it does it is it's in different areas, so say economic right. policy, social area, yeah. and you, you pick the one that you think is most appropriate. But of course, what it doesn't tell you is okay, if I vote for this policy, it means that I'm not going to get this policy, or you know, it means if yeah, the, the money's going to go here rather than to here. Yeah. So I've just, I've just edited out a bit, um, and now we're back. Um, because we're running, we're not running out of time because there is no time limit. But in a sort of, in some sense, we all are. And I think as we approach, <laughs> in a more profound sense, yeah, I think as as we as we rocket towards death, it's possible we should only spend that's another in, five in danger more of slipping of into. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue territory. Then, as, as indeed, the policeman of time saunters <laughs> along the pavement of eternity. <laughs> we must. Okay. Yes. Quite. Um, so I think let, let's talk briefly about the leaders' debates because I, 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 we, I think this has been really good actually. I think we've we've got into lots of things that were not really expected, and that was that's how it should be. I think. I think I'll try and do more of these, and I hope people will want to listen to them because I, I, I think I would like to listen to this. I think it was, it was it was good, and I think we should probably do. In my head, it's shaping up as what we should do for future things. Is we should. It doesn't need to be the same people or, or the, in the same situation, but there is there are certain specific areas we should probably talk about. We should probably talk about Europe. Um, we should probably talk mm, education. about education, grammar schools, and that. So I think I think a series of things like that would be really interesting. But to close this one, are there going to be leaders' debates? Is that going to happen? Yes. And what are the what are the rights and wrongs of it? And uh, yeah, anyone who wants to talk about that for a little bit, uh, I feel. I feel quite strongly about this, so I'll give my two penneth and then try to shut up uncharacteristically. Okay. I think what should happen is that there should be two or three debates, one of which should be a head-to-head between the to give us a choice between the two men who are the only two men who might be the Prime Minister of the country. I think that is a reasonable thing to present to the electorate. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if you are polling above... nationwide and or have at least one sitting MP in the House of Commons and are a UK-wide political entity, to be loosely defined, then it is perfectly acceptable for you to say if there's going to be a leadership debate incorporating more than just Ed Miliband and David Cameron, then I would like a podium on the stage. So I think it is totally legitimate to to expect or demand a leadership debate with... Cameron, Miliband, Clegg, and then UKIP, Greens, SMP, and arguably Plaid. Respect. 
Yeah, Do you respect have an MP because yeah. Galloway? They're hardly they're hardly fielding any candidates, but they have a sitting MP. Yeah. In which case, as you say, if Galloway wants a podium, then he would have to qualify. Um, Northern Ireland. No, I don't think you do have to include the Northern Ireland parties unless they feel very strongly about it, because Ulster politics is is not the same. But um, is is this the Welsh and Scottish? Because it's not UK one. <coughs> the reason I think the SNP are uh, legitimately um, get a chair is twofold. Firstly, um, what they do and how they spend their money has a feedback effect on the British economy as a whole. And secondly they have a very significant chance of wielding the balance of power in a, in a hung parliament. Mm -hmm. So the, the Scottish voters of the UK need to know, for instance, yeah. whether they will ever form a coalition with somebody who approves of X, Y or Z. Okay. Does anyone have anything to disagree with about any of that? No. Uh, not massively. I suppose Plaid, should they be there? I, I could take it. If they feel strongly that they want to be there, then I think they can be there. Well, the more the merrier, in a way. Wow, except that's but the only thing. Well, that's the <coughs> question. Yeah, that's, pro that's probably the, the opposing view, which I don't think I think I agree with you. But the opposing view is probably that a nine person debate is really just some sound bites. For those of us who've ever watched American primary debates, and I suspect. Well, that's have. actually my counter example, is I tend to think those are all right. But, I mean, I, is, but, is that but, the only argument? But, well, is there a sense of. It's probably too late for me to take this to the broadcasters, but is there some sort of bracket you could do so that you almost poll the viewers and say, who do you want to hear more from? And we whittle it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But everyone yeah, eligible. I already said I'm not going to be here for that. <laughs> what we should do, every party eligible for that vote should have some sort of debate before we... <laughs> yeah. I think, I think they... Um... <clears throat> I just think they may as well. I think that they. I think two or three debates is a good idea. I think they should have this one. I think in any, in any case they should have it because people have been asking for it. Why not? They might watch it, go, "This is awful. Never do this again." And then next time mm. it won't be an issue or whatever. I mean, it doesn't seem like yeah. it matters. Also, like the madder people might come across as a bit mad, and that might help. I don't yeah. know. Like you know, you might. I do think. Of, um, or they might come across as amazing. They might be really good speakers. It might be fascinating to listen to them. Yeah. Mm. That that's the thing that kind of would put me against. And I'm not against it because literally, I will, I mean, I'm not going to watch it. I don't care. So, <laughs> it's more that like I think completely. I agree with everything you've said. If I believe that they're actually worth listening to. But I think probably instinctively, I don't think that isn't any of them were worth listening. Isn't there a broader question, though, that the leadership of your country is going to be decided by people who have watched this debate? Whether or not you remember yes, yourself I think them. that's why I think it definitely yeah. should be going on, right. because it's more information and it's a good national platform. But at the same time, it's a platform for people who are already self-important enough to put on makeup and suits and go and show off a bit. And... I've seen you I'm do not that. Really. Yeah, yeah. That is I, I liked it, but that, but I'm, that's what but I. You don't like think necessarily doing. you should be but given not, a nuclear yeah, launch code. Exactly. Okay. I Fine. think you should. Chris, what did you have to say? I, I've got very little of interest to say following you guys. To be honest, I pretty much agree. I think the 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 compromise that's currently come up with with the uh, Royal Rumble for the first two, and then. Uh, <laughs> for the Channel yeah. Four Sky of the WWF, the, the two is 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 probably as it stands at the moment the least worst. Is compromise. there a better idea that we could come up with? Well, I mean, I'm not sure. What about uh, a knockout? Like, 
<laughs> yeah, what about you do? <laughs> Put them all under and throw pies on them or something. Yeah, no, but what about, okay, so you'd have like two, we randomly select well, two think, parties, they debate I each other, the, uh, there's a vote for the winner and then those two go to the next day. Do it like a yeah. Um, I think that the questions are more important than the participants. I think that there are a number of things that are tripping us up <coughs> about the participants because once you start writing the rules, some of the common sense goes out the window. So actually, I, I've changed my mind about agreeing with you about Galloway. Clearly, George Galloway doesn't get a podium because respect aren't a nationwide political force. But the Greens arguably are, SNP are for other reasons and so on, and UKIP certainly are because of how they're polling. Lib Dems are for historical reasons and so on. We can all write the list. How we justify the list is more complicated, and it's what's got people's panties in a twist. But we can all actually write the list. My concern is there are really important um, uh, procedural questions to ask this time around that the country has never had to address before. And this is where I started mm -hmm. about, and, and in answer to your question about literally how does it work, what's the mechanism mm -hmm. for forming a coalition? In um, the uh, Benelux countries and in the Scandinavian countries where coalition governments are much more um, usual, there is usually a period of 30 to 40 days of, ne of coalition negotiations during which time either there is no formal government or the sitting government continues to do a caretaker job. For sure, last uh, 2010's five days will be longer this time, but the country couldn't wear it for more than 10. So there's an enormous amount of pressure to get to hammer out a deal. If there's going to be a formal coalition, and I still think we might come down to confidence and supply, but if there's going to be any kind of formal arrangement, then it's got to happen quite fast. And that means that we have to know in advance what the negotiating positions are. We don't have to know every nuance of the negotiating positions and what the kind of retrenchment lines and, and lines of retreat will be, but we have to know that if we, if we sit in a constituency, if we vote in a constituency where there is a genuine chance that a UKIP uh, MP might be returned from our constituency or a Green MP might be returned from our constituency or a Lib Dem MP might be returned from our constituency, we have to know that we are contributing to a negotiating um, uh, environment in which that increases the likelihood of a European election, a European referendum mm -hmm. in 2016. Well, my feeling is you get a quite good sense of that from the Royal Rumble vote fest 2015. Only if they're held to account. Only if that becomes part well, of the national even, discussion. Even, I mean, it hasn't, if, we haven't got there yet. I think like, it's true. It's true. Right? I don't I, know why I, more I people think you aren't get a kind of questions. intuitive sense of that from seeing who says, oh, well, I, well, I agree with him on this thing. And I, I, you, when you, That's different. The, well, point, um, the big advantage of first past the post, and I'm a first past the post guy, me the, too, big actually, the big advantage of one member one. We'll do one on that. Yeah, uh, the big advantage of Omov is that basically what you see is what you get. Yeah. You get a party that says, if you elect us, we'll do these things. And there's a list of stuff they promise they'll do. And then when they get into power, they've got a mandate to do those things and no mandate to do things that are wildly divergent from those things. And therefore, at the end of the four or five years, you can look, right, OK, what do they say that we're going to do? What do they actually achieve? How do we judge them on their own, by their own lights? And then let's have a look at the competition. But and didn't, um, and didn't, we need that, otherwise democracy doesn't function. Didn't uh, Brown promise to bring that in last time? 
I'm sure he did. I'm sure Gordon Brown, that was one of Gordon Brown's pre-election promises. Really? Was, was, that, was that he would bring that. I don't know if it was in that exact same format you, you stated, but he did say um, something about a website dedicated to monitoring the results of all the pledges that he made prior to the election. Right. And it, it, it was, I thought it was quite a smart move and I, at the time, and I thought it might have, might have won it for him, but obviously it didn't work out that way, because it was a few weeks before the election. Really he, he timed it quite right. um, specifically. Um, that would be an interesting thing to see. Cause, but um, the thing about coalitions, of course, is it doesn't... It doesn't matter what the Lib Dem manifesto says. Once they get locked into the door, they're locked, locked behind the closed door with the yeah, Conservative I mean, I negotiating team, right. stuff starts to bleed. But I mean, If there are going to be red lines, we need to know what they are. But I mean, as it stands at the moment, I, I think even when you get um, covenants of just one party, um, the manifesto doesn't necessarily bear a great relationship to what actually gets done. Um, it's well, a the, pretty good starting point for the first couple of years. There is basically a mechanism a, to judge what yeah, that's important where, in its own right, but it is also in practice. It's a it basis is. for the accusation you have gone back on the promises. I think, I think yeah. it's there's, valid in its. There's self. another issue as well, though, is that the, you know, there's this whole clouding of uh, of actually what actually happens. They can promise one thing, then get into power and go, "Oh, there's not enough money. We didn't know that. We couldn't do it." Or like um, Cameron did sure. with, with the Scottish referendum, which was, "If you vote for us, you will have a referendum. You will have a." Oh, what did he say? I can't remember. He said basically you'll have devolution or yeah, something that's... like that. And then literally after the announcement, after the announcement, he said, "Yeah, you can have it after England and Northern Ireland have had it, or Wales and Northern Ireland mm. have had it." I can't remember what it was. I think it was devolution or something yeah. like that. And and like that's a moving of the goalposts. You know, you can put that down before the election, but there'll always be a way of finding your way around that. That's I don't true. even know why I'm arguing this. I'm not even that passionate about it to be honest. I don't, I don't <laughs> Wait, really that's... care about this. I think, <laughs> I think, <laughs> and maybe maybe it's a, it's maybe a it's a nerdy political thing maybe I'm, I maybe think, I'm no, way I out think, on a fringe I think, I think, I think it's a right. really important democratic principle I think danger of you're disappearing. Right is that it's important to know where the red lines yeah. are for example if you vote green and green have said we will not enter into a negotiation into a coalition into a formal coalition has has its policy we will not support a, yeah we will not support a if government which... I'd like to know that there's a red yeah you'd want to know that there is a red line that says if I vote green then anyone elected with the help of my vote will not be part of a coalition that maintains Trident. Yeah, that, that brings democratic accountability. I think, I think they are willing to... I, mean, I, I think Plaid, I saw Plaid on TV the other day refusing to answer that question and I wasn't happy about it. I mean, they should have answered that question. Will you go into a coalition if Trident is something that will be coalition policy? Yeah. And he wouldn't answer that question. He should have done. And I think that is probably is important to know. Yeah. And, it's, and in the main, it's not a bad principle in um, journalism, citizenship, um, indeed, uh, personal relationships. If somebody really doesn't want to answer a question, it's a really good question. And it's, it's truer in politics than in anything else. But or they, it's a really personal and appropriate question. <laughs> that's, that's arguably true. Maybe that's why Simon Kirby didn't balls. write back, actually. But it's <laughs> <laughs> a different angle on it. Because um, you just wrote to him, what do you think about brown balls? <laughs> <laughs> oh, answering this. what a mistake. <laughs> I think that's it. Um, we will finish on brown balls. <laughs> <laughs> like so many only, <laughs> only if our aim before. improves um, <laughs> right wow did you just take the tone lower oh no it's fine no it's perfect like the tone the tone was pretty damn high and now the tone has finally dropped <laughs> it's time to say goodbye so um, we'll do more of these I hope I think um, that would be nice uh, I think that was really interesting good yeah it was um, what do yeah. the jingle
Do no, I'll add that later. We'll yeah, no, but later. no. If I if you if I say do the jingle and then it comes in, it will sound like you did the jingle. Would have made so much sense yeah. if I got that when you yeah, said yeah, it. Yeah. Um, oh, now it's going to be do the jingle. Oh.